Welcome to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Caravans, campervans, motorhomes and more. It's the place to get hints, tips and impartial advice from the expert himself, Matt Sims. Brought to you by thatleisureshop.com. Join us on the journey with Motorhome Matt. Welcome to the Motorhome Map Podcast. I'm Keith Gooden. And I'm Motorhome Matt. Lots to cram in in this episode, all brought to you with that leisureshop.com as usual. Uh, later on, we'll be talking uh, to a chap called Graham Cooper, who's currently Global Vice President of Energy Transition. Where? <laughs> a place called Jacobs. They're a huge global engineering firm. So Graham's a bit of a superstar when it comes to that kind of future gazing. So it's great to have him on. So it's all about electricity and the impact it's going to have on your passion. Uh, but first of all, let's delve into the news, shall we? And you've been visiting uh, one of the oldest established and most respected uh, caravan and motorhome builders in the uh, the, the UK. UK. Yeah, we did. We were down at Bailey yesterday. And of course, they're only down the road in Bristol, uh, in Ashton. In fact, I, I've said it before, I grew up cycling around the perimeter fence because that was where I grew up as a small boy. But we went down to see their electric camper van. It's built. It's a prototype. Oh, I was going to say, I haven't seen it on the road. No, you won't. Uh, in fact, it's going to be launched in October. Uh, and it's all a big secret, so we're sworn to secrecy. We can't actually talk about it. Bailey have announced uh, that they've been in partnership, working in partnership with Ford on an EV. So we're not breaking any rules, but we've seen it. And I have to say, it's very, very good. When can we talk about it? That's what I want to know. Well, we're going to go down over the summer and we'll be filming and recording a whole load of content with some of the senior team at Bailey who've been really generous with their time, I have to say, uh, and also the design team. And there's some real innovation in the camper van, stuff I've never seen before and products that I've never seen used and I think have never been used in a motorhome or camper van before. So it's groundbreaking, it's innovative, and it's a world first. So you'll see it at the October NEC show. Uh, that's where it will be launched. So our content will be published around the same time, just after Bailey announced it. Looking forward to that. And it's just a thing, isn't it? A lot of people who aren't involved uh, in this pastime, uh, you think it's old-fashioned and just old people. Do it. Nothing could be further from the truth. Like you say, the innovation. We, we heard from Ford just a couple of podcasts ago, uh, and now we're talking about another innovative product from a long-established company. Yeah. The innovation in this industry is... That's outstanding at the moment. It is, it? yeah. Although sometimes it can be a bit lacking, I have to say. I think in recent years we've seen a less of it, which is no surprise given the landscape we've been on. But one of the things that came across yesterday, talking to Nick, the MD of Bailey, and to Simon, and one of the other directors there, he said this is about these guys. And there are two young ladies that have been responsible for designing this camper van. You know, they are fresh into the industry and they've come with great ideas uh, new ways of thinking about stuff and how we design it and how we make it. And that's what's exciting. And Bailey are really pushing this. They want to attract new talent into the industry and into their business. And I think that's really for them is what this product's going to be about. And some commiserations due uh, to everybody at Bailey's, isn't there? Indeed, yeah. To Nick Simon and the rest of the family. They lost their father, Stephen Howard, uh, last week. He passed away just before his 82nd birthday. He was the MD of Bailey for, oh gosh, for a long time. Our deepest commiserations to you uh, at this difficult time. The funeral is coming up this week, so we'll be thinking of you. 
Yes, he joined in 1977, went on to be managing director. Bailey's as a company has been with us since 1947, uh, but he was 45 plus years as MD. And as yeah. you say, the influence that Bailey have had on, on the market over those years is... I'm, you could measure it, but I'm going to say it's immeasurable. It's been huge, isn't it? Massive. And everyone's heard of them. You know, you see Bailey caravans everywhere. <laughs> More recently, motorhomes. Uh, and so this new venture into the campervan market is brand new for Bailey. There, it's worth saying there's a diesel campervan coming in October that you can buy. The electric one is a prototype. It's a one-off. They've built one. We were in it yesterday. You can't buy that one yet. But this is about Bailey just kind of adopting this approach to move to electric, which is what we're going to talk about today. Yes, yeah, so rest in peace, Stephen Howard. And thanks for everything. If you can hear me, thanks for everything that you've done for motorhoming and caravanning over the years. Something else on our news list here, Matt, your brand new website. Yeah, I know. Finally, the Motorhome Holiday Company is our motorhome hire business. We hire and sell motorhomes. And uh, we have a new website. It has been months making it. It takes a long time. Maddie has been peddling like a swan in the background. Peddling like a swan? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, looking all calm on the outside, but yeah. underneath it's utter chaos. It's been a massive project. The website is huge with so much content on there, blogs and uh, tour guides and all sorts of stuff on there, which has all had to be recreated. Uh, and finally, it's there. We've got a number of new motorhomes on the hire fleet, which is exciting. There's new ways of looking at them on the website now with new photographs, video, handover guides are going to be easily available on the website. So you can even learn how to use a motorhome before you book one for your holiday, which a lot of people want to do. And historically, we've kind of hidden that video away, which is daft. So yeah, the new website's there. You can see the motorhomes we've got available for hire. You can reserve one. Uh, there's lots and lots of information on there as well if you're planning your own motorhome holiday. But just go to motorhomeholidaycompany.com. Have a look. It's the Motorhome Matt podcast with thatleisureshop.com. We've got some thatleisureshop.com news, haven't we? We have. We have had a delivery of a new range of leisure and starter batteries from Platinum. These are batteries which are certainly built for purpose uh, and they're all classed by the NCC, the National Caravan Council. So if you're looking at leisure batteries thinking, well, which one do I need? Uh, there's a great podcast episode on the Motorhome Map podcast all about batteries where we unpack the different types of lead acid and gel uh, and even lithium batteries as well. And we're now stocking them in the shop. So if you're looking for a new leisure battery, they're only available for click and collect. We can't ship them uh, for obvious reasons. But if you're local to us, need a leisure battery, then, then go on thatleisureshop.com. Have a look. Absolutely. Uh, so that leisureshop.com and make sure you get on there. They sponsor the Motorhome Matt podcast as well. Let's talk about your latest open day as well, Matt. <laughs> yeah, July the 1st. So talking motorhome hire, we have an open day where lots of our motorhomes are, it's kind of a lull, the calm before the storm, before they all go out on, on summer holidays. What is it kind of? A lull. Is it a lull? <laughs> yeah, in the diary. It's a lull. So a lot of our motorhomes come back from Glastonbury. Uh, and they're all cleaned and prepped. And then just before they go off to Silverstone, we have an open day. So they're all momentarily, lots of them are here. So it's a great opportunity for us to get them all out, doors open, come and have a look. So if you're thinking of a summer holiday this year or an autumn break or even next year and you're thinking of hiring a moto, maybe you own one and you want to try something else, a different layout, then come along on July the 1st to the Motorhome Holiday Company Open Day. 
We are at BS246RT. Go to the website. All the detail is on there. Or follow us on social media. I can serve drinks. <laughs> there will be drinks and biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> I like a drink and a biscuit. Okay, then it's the Motorhome Mat podcast with thatleisureshop.com. Let's get into the main body of uh, this podcast. We've been talking about electric vehicles and the transition towards it for quite a while. And uh, while 2030 is heading uh, uh, towards us, and there's always the debate about whether that will stand when petrol and diesel vehicles are going to be banned from sale. Let's just live in the reality we're in now. 2030 is there. But you've been doing so much, Matt, haven't you? Uh, uh, about the development uh, from major companies, from smaller people uh, on electric uh, vehicles and how it's going to impact this pastime. It is. And what fascinates me, there's no one really in this industry talking about it because there's no answers. There's just questions. And uh, I've had so many questions and I got frustrated at not finding any answers. So that right, I'm going to try and find them myself. And all I've managed to discover are more questions. But there's such a huge change coming and this change is going to go deep and it's been fascinating to talk to people outside of the leisure motorhome campervan industry and talk to people within the world of EV within the national grid and people who are influencing the government on some of the decisions which are being made about this and we've had such a lot of feedback from the recent episodes we've done on the future of electric motorhomes a lot of cynicism is fair to say people saying it's not going to happen I'm afraid it's coming. It is going to happen. And the thing for you to remember uh, when you're watching or listening uh, to this, you might think, well, I'm not in the market. I'm, I'm going to turn it off. Don't do that because the more informed you are for the future, the better. So much is going on in the background, isn't it, Matt? A lot, yeah. And there's an awful lot going on kind of behind the scenes. And, and you're just preparing the national grid for this change has been a massive, massive billions and billions of pounds worth of project, which has already been spent and is being spent. And I thought, right, let's go there. Let's start with the national grid because we get questions about you know, plugging in on a campsite, which is kind of right at the end of the national grid. In fact, it's beyond the end of the national grid. So I thought, let's go back to the core and find out what's happening there. I did some research on this and found a guy who was on, he was actually featured on BBC Top Gear. His name's Graham Cooper. I had a kind of a research call with him and he talked about FUD and his fear of uncertainty and doubt. And he gets it. He understands that. And most people, when they feel fuddy, ignore things, don't they? They, they hide. Or they get scared and we put our head in the sand. We just choose to ignore it. And we can't do that. I don't want to do that. I want to kind of, you know, I've been prepared to lift the lid on <laughs> what initially seems like a can of worms. I realise now it isn't. It's just a massive change that's coming. And I have converted to believing that EV is possible for motorhomes, definitely. And maybe other types of fuel as well. But that's a whole different conversation. But the problem is there's all these pub conversations that happen and people quote them and they buy a dog from someone and their former owner's cousin said this. You know, and it becomes fact. Or they say, they. <laughs> they. They, they, they yeah. say. That guy said. And they're misconceptions of what is actually going on. So I wanted to speak to Graham to try and clarify a few facts and dispel a few myths. Graham was head of future markets at the National Grid, so very much staring into the future and steering National Grid into the future. He's actually just changed job. He's now global vice president of energy transition at Jacobs. And I started the conversation by just asking him to tell us a little bit about his role. 
My current title is I'm Global Vice President of Energy Transition at Jacobs, which is a, you know, a global engineering firm and not a cracker manufacturer, as my mates like to rib me. <laughs> but before that, I spent five years being head of future markets at National Grid. Now, you know, National Grid are the motorways of the energy system. And mm -hmm. principally, my job was to try and navigate ensuring that the right wires were in the right place at the right time to cope with the energy transition. So, you know, not just vehicles, so cleaning of transport, but also the cleaning up of heat, connecting of large scale offshore wind. So I've been in the thick of this for, uh, for a little while. And even in the big vision side of this, haven't you? And in our little world of motorhomes and campervans, I call it our little world because it fills that in the scale of what you deal with. <laughs> but 2035, we know that all new vehicles sold have to be zero emission. We're scared about yes. this. And, and our listeners, I know, suffer with what you would call FUD, the fear of unknown and doubt. And it's changed and it frightens us. And because of that unknown, but 2035 is going to be law. Should it be moved? What are the reasons for it being there in the first place, right? Because I'm, I'm a firm believer, instead of talking about the thing itself, what is it that is causing it? Because then we can get to the root cause of these things. So firstly, most people think that the drive to ban the sale of combustion engines is only a climate change issue. Yes, firstly, transport is the dirtiest thing we do from a carbon perspective. From the start of the Industrial Revolution until about 2018, the dirtiest thing we did was make power. When we moved from about 2017 into about 2018, power has been getting cleaner by the growth in wind farms, moving away from coal and towards gas, more nuclear. It's not that transport suddenly got dirtier, it's just that the power systems got cleaner. That then means transport is in the firing line because it's now the dirtiest thing we do. Now, that's the carbon piece, right? The other one that people often miss out on is the air quality piece. So in the UK, 36,000 people die prematurely every year from the impact of poor air quality. Can I give you a context in, in COVID for that? 36,000 people was about week three of the first lockdown. Do you remember when we had that oh my God moment when we were approaching 40,000 deaths? from COVID. Well, 36,000 people die prematurely in the UK every year from the impact of poor air quality. And the, one of the largest contributors to that is burning stuff in engines, right? Is through, through transport emissions. There's also a cost of that. The cost of poor air quality costs the NHS and social care £200 million of our taxpayer money every year. So when people kind of think that, oh, this is climate change, that's one factor. The other factor is much more close to home, and that is air quality harming me, you, our friends and families. There have been drives to clean combustion engines for a while, right? You know, we've seen with things like buses and trucks having, you know, Euro 4, Euro 5, Euro, you're right, progressively cleaner, but it's not moving fast enough. But the one thing industry always needs is certainty. Whether you like the certainty or not, if you have certainty, you can plan for it. Most of the G7 economies, you know, through the, 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 the COP di discussions, through all of the discussions across countries that happened, you know, the view is that it's costing your country a lot. It's harming your public a lot. It's harming the climate a lot. So put some certainty in. So the end of the sale of petrol and diesel only cars and, and very light vans by 2030 and the absolute end of petrol and diesel vehicles by 2035 is enshrined in law. And it will happen. It's not going to move. We've seen a small dilution around um, synthetic fuels. The, the cold reality is synthetic fuels help you with the carbon number. 
but you're still burning stuff doesn't help you with the with the air quality number you know it's it's one of those things there's a whole bunch of drivers for these things and that means there's also a whole bunch of reasons why they're unlikely to change just talking then about national grid we head off to lizard point in cornwall we go to the gower in south wales in a few weeks time we're off to the norfolk coast for a week's holiday in our van Beautiful. in our motorhome yeah we go to a campsite and i've said before i i turn the electric toaster on and I trip the campsite because it can't cope. How's it going to cope with yes. a whole load of electric vans, electric cars, towing caravans? The, the grid's just not ready, is it? I, I'm obviously speaking as an ex-employee of National Grid, yeah. so this is not the official National Grid line, right, just to protect ourselves here. But it does mean that I can speak more openly, right? So, <laughs> so look, let's, let, let's speak really openly, right? So, so let's, let's lay down a few things and then I'll take it through to, to answer your question more directly. So in the next 20-ish years, the UK will consume at least twice the amount of electricity than we do today. To be able to do that, we will need at least four times the amount of clean generation that we have today. And to be able to do that, we will need twice the grid capacity than we do today. Now, actually, what I've surmised there is the advice to government from the Committee on Climate Change, which is an independent body that advises on policy, right? Mm -hmm. So these are not my numbers. You know, your listeners can Google this, the Committee on Climate Change. Sixth Carbon Budget Balanced Pathway. If they want to Google it, I can send you some links. What is driving that doubling of consumption? Firstly, of that 100% demand in growth, only 15 to 20% of that demand is transport, is electrifying transport. Right, 50 okay. to 60% of that demand in growth is actually decarbonizing heat. Because look, 86% of the country is heated with a gas boiler. Oh, hang on, that's burning stuff. Not compatible with climate change or air quality, right? So this comes back to those two drivers again. So in the grand scheme of things, electrifying transport, if you're looking through the lens of transport, is a really big deal, and I get it. If you're looking at the economy and you're looking at the grid and the change in consumption, it's important, but it's not the most significant thing. So when we come back to the, will the grid cope? Well, there's two ways of answering that. I can just say, yes, it has to. You know, the grid has evolved since it started, right, in the 50s and 60s. Our world has changed a lot. Consumption's gone up. The way we use power, the way we make power has all changed. Did you notice anything happen? Your side of the light switch? No. So the grid has been on a 20, 30, 40 year evolution and it's coped in the same way looking forward the grid will cope. Now, in any change, there's always wrinkles, right? So you see articles about spending a bit more money on wires or uh, people having to be small delays for connecting solar plants. But then the industry responds and fixes those things. So let's come back to your answer, which is, you know, you know, which is firstly, most of our power in the UK was generated centrally from sort of coal plants in the likes of Sheffield and the power went outwards to the regions. Now we're in a world where uh, wind and solar is distributed. It's, it can be anywhere, but also large scale offshore wind is happening outside the country being posted in. So we've now gone from power going from the inside out now to the outside in. So we sort of reversed it. What does that mean for you at a, at a campsite? Right. So traditionally at a campsite, you're running a, a toilet block a few lights and a 13 amp supply, right? Just to keep things like fridges and, and low voltage systems running. That will change. So Western Power Distribution, National Grid Distribution, who are the regional power company for Devon Cornwall, they are going from 157 new grid connections a day today. Within five years, they will get to 1,600 new grid connections a day. They've planned for that. There's a budget for that. They will achieve that. But what does that mean, right? a new grid? What's a it's new a grid connection? Deal. 
a new grid connection. So somebody wants to build a house, they need a grid connection. Somebody right. wants to upgrade their grid connection because they're having a, a car charger plugged in, you know, put in, or a heat pump mm-hmm. put in, or even just extending, right? I mean, I'm very lucky. I'm sitting in a building here, which is which is um, yeah, my wife's office. We built this in lockdown and it needed a new grid connection. So, so you know, it, you know, the house couldn't supply it. We had to have a new separate grid connection. So, so yeah, we're going from 157 grid connections a day in the, the Western Power Distribution, National Grid Distribution area, to a 1,600 a day. But the industry has been planning for this for years. The budget has been allocated to do it. This is planned. And it will be disruptive, digging more holes and stringing more wires. But it's also great for jobs and investment for the UK. Previously and historically, electricity was generated in the centre and went out. You're saying that's going Broadly, to change yes. and it's going to come from our coastlines. Is that right? And into the UK. Is that what you're trying to get across? One, before we just had large centralised power stations and the power just was pushed out. Now, some of the you know, generation is happening locally. I mean, a f- two fields to my left is now a field full of solar panels. Right. So locally generated power, short travel energy. As we've switched off coal, there's only one coal plant on the bars now you know, available and it's off but it's still there. As we move away from that thermal plant stuff, heated, heating water to generate power, we can now generate power from the sun, from the wind and do that locally. But if we're going to need the volume of energy, we're going to need to do things like large scale offshore wind. The windiest place in Europe is the UK and the windiest place in the UK is in the sea. Now, as an island nation, we are blessed with an awful lot of sea, right, Mm. for our landmass. So actually, the UK is a world leader in offshore wind. So it's taken us 20 years to go from experimental wind turbines offshore to large scale commercial wind turbines. And these turbines are huge. Uh, If you've ever visited the London Eye, they're bigger than the swept area of the London Eye. These things are properly massive. You know, the blade tips are doing somewhere close to 180 miles an hour. So they may look like they're turning slowly, but those blades are going fast. But if you put those in the sea, firstly... We've got a lot of sea and a lot of seabed. Secondly, the wind regime, you know, the consistency of the wind is higher. You generate more power more of the time. In the UK, we're going from roughly 10 gigawatts of offshore wind now to 50 gigawatts by 2030, probably 2035 by the time they're all switched on. That will deliver us 70-ish percent of the UK's power need. And we're building wires from the UK to other European countries. There are currently eight. They call them interconnectors. Wires from us to Norway. So when we've got plenty of wind in the UK, we push power to Norway. But when there's little wind, their hydro runs and we pull power back to the UK. So we are directly interconnected with other European countries, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, France, Germany, the Netherlands. Energy's pretty joined up. So following question always comes, which is, well, what happens when the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine? almost like it's a shock to the energy industry. So the the couple of things to bring out there, right, is demand has always been really variable, right? We wake up in the morning and we all have our toast and a hot shower and what have you. Power spikes in the morning, drops in the middle of the day again because we're all busy beavering away. And then it spikes in the evening. But guess what? We build a power system for those spikes, which means the whole power system isn't running the most efficiently in the troughs of that, that demand. By having things like smart chargers, having things like time of use tariffs, Having things like, you know, the variability of wind and solar doesn't really matter all that much. The grid system will get smarter and actually we will end up using the grid more efficiently. So, you know, when people say, well, you know, what happens when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine? Well, one, we move it around between different countries. People are looking at long term storage. I mean, even here personally. So at home, 
I live in a carbon neutral house. All of my house is heated from a ground source heat pump, pipes buried in the garden. I buy all my electricity from Octopus Energy, which is a clean energy provider. I have a car charger and I even treat all my own wastewater. So the only emission from my home is clean water. Due to a time of use tariff, so basically using energy when it's cheap and clean, 73% of my energy demand happens when the grid is cleanest and cheapest, which means I'm actually helping the grid. I'm helping smooth those peaks and troughs. For the last 11 years, my house has been warm and dry. I've not been cold. This stuff just works. This transition is a transition that will touch people, will change people and change how they live, but probably not in a detrimental way. Do you remember about 15, 16 years ago, all of the hoo-ha and upset when we banned the sale of um, incandescent bulbs. Do you remember people hoarded bulbs? The very early compact fluorescent bulbs were a bit rubbish, weren't they? You put them in, you switched them on it, it took them five minutes to warm up. But if we project forward to today, you don't go into B&Q or wherever you buy your light bulbs and say, hello, B&Q operative, can I have a climate friendly, super high tech, energy efficient light bulb? You ask them for the bayonet or the screw fitting, right? We've normalized the light bulb. So likening it to the transition that you're seeing in transport, Today, when somebody buys an electric car, they come into their friends at the pub and they go, hey, everyone, I bought an electric car. No one asks what it is, who made it, what colour, what interior, what wheels did you get? The thing is that, that, that it's electric. But I would hazard a guess within the next four or five years, we will normalise this and people will run into their friends in the pub and say, hi, I bought a blue Volkswagen Golf. They'll just assume it's electric. We will have normalised it. So. I appreciate for your listeners, you're staring down the barrel of change and change is always uncomfortable. We're creatures of habit. We like things to remain the same. And we also feel more frightened and nervous when a change is not at our instigation, right? If we want to do something and we're mm. happy for that change, that's easier. But we see a change coming, which is not necessarily at our choice. So when I think about the change that's coming, having these discussions to talk about what's coming and how it might impact actually will just help people understand the change that's coming. But don't forget, by the time we get to 2035, okay, so 12 years away, your listeners will see more EVs, electric cars on the road. They will see more electric trucks on the road. You know, some early pioneers are already making conversions for, for camper vans, right? And, and yes, the range is a little limited and they're, at the moment they're a bit pricey. But don't forget the first of anything is always the groundbreaker. And some people are prepared to, for, to be the groundbreaker and others will make the transition when they're ready. You know, no one's stealing the keys to your camper van out of your cold, dead hands. This is something that, that is, this, this is a transition and not a cliff edge. I and think so the issue for us, Graham, is this change is, feels very much being forced upon us as, as a country. And as a niche within that country, there is no evidence of what that change is going to be because the electric vans that we will need to have our motorhomes built on don't really exist yet and there's there's pioneering ones with very low range and we get that and i know they'll come yeah. we just did an episode with paul kirby consultant into the world of ev and the head of ford leisure pro yes. uh, ryan bodage and it was a brilliant episode on the electric future of motorhomes one of the things that came across in that episode for me was about mindset change and that you say you go to the pub and yeah. you've you've bought a golf uh you know people would just assume it's electric and we won't want yeah. to buy a diesel vehicle you yeah. were famously on recently on bbc top gear and chris harris asked you a question <laughs> which actually didn't allow you to answer and he quoted the Lord Mayor yep. of Bristol. So very close to home for yep. me is my hometown. And he made a point about the elected mayor. He is enforcing change that you can't drive cars into the city that 
are polluting and we mm -hmm. now have a low emission yep. zone paris is getting a an even more strict one at the end later this year yep. where you know you can't drive in at all in the evening and he asked the question you know what's the point in owning a ferrari f40 what's the point in owning a diesel powered motor I mean, if you can't use it is that going to yep. be the case are internal combustion engines or ice engines going to be undesirable thing to own in the future oh it's a really good question so you know there's there's a there's a whole bunch of rabbit warren conversation we could go down around yeah. cities but look, there's an example i mean i know the number for london because it's on the top of my head Four thousand people die prematurely in london every year from poor air quality and the biggest drivers of poor air quality in london is vehicles and boilers we may recognize something that's bad for us but sometimes you need legislation to force us to be good that's the reason for driving those emission zones you you need a carrot and a stick and and i admit sometimes the, the proportion of carrot and stick is not always balanced but we do need saving from ourselves because if you think about it you can personally make a choice to drive or not drive a combustion vehicle but what about the three quarters of the population that don't drive children the elderly people who just choose not to so you're forcing your emissions on them so so there is the piece which is responsible forward-thinking country responsible for the long-term health of its population trying to do the right thing and i know that that feels like taking away civil liberties but who would not want to be healthier who wouldn't want to live longer who wouldn't want to save money on the nhs so i i'm you know i, I understand as a driver i'm i'm irked by some of these restrictions but at the same time I realise it's for the greater good. But let's just come on to the, the combustion engine piece. Look, so just because you can't sell a brand new combustion engine vehicle in 2035 doesn't mean that the ones that are already there disappear. This is a transition, not a cliff edge. You know, I mean, the I know it for cars. The average life of a car in the UK is 13.7 years. I'd probably hazard a guess that you've probably got a number for the average life of a camper van. I don't know that number. It's not my specialist subject. The cold reality is no one is forcing you. You will still be able to buy petrol and diesel. That will continue, but it will slowly dwindle. But if you think about it, even if on day one of 2035, you ban the sale of new ones, everything on the road that's new on that day will run for another 15 odd years and therefore need petrol or diesel. Again, I try to make the point that this is a transition and particularly for your market, which is reasonably specialist, you're the market that's likely to move last, if I'm, if I'm honest, but for road vehicles, because you are a niche of a niche. But yeah. guess what? You'll benefit from all of the tremendous learning of white van man, of all those company fleets. You know, that learning is a massive learning curve. Let them make all of those mistakes. You will end up with a better chassis, battery, vehicle platform to build camper vans on because someone else would have made all of the mistakes before you and done all of that learning. And even at a point where, you know, I mean, there's the debate, you, you will have seen in the newspapers, the debate around e-fuels, yeah. synthetic fuels. Even those will be available. The challenge with even things like those is is interesting, right? You know, in the Second World War, Germany made synthetic fuel, right, because of, of of challenges in the war. Synthetic fuel is not a new thing. The problem you've got is what people don't realise is to refine synthetic petrol takes nearly ten times the amount of energy to make it than refining oil to get petrol or diesel, right? Massively energy intensive. So if you think about the cost of the energy to refine it, how expensive is that synthetic fuel going to be? So coming back to your comment about a Ferrari, no one's killing Ferraris and specialist vehicles you just might not use it on synthetic fuel that often because the synthetic fuel will be expensive and i also think that we ought to pick up here just about the the debate on electricity versus hydrogen right because again i'm sure your listeners are saying well i'm not going to do anything till there's hydrogen well look let's pick up a couple of things on hydrogen right so 97 percent of hydrogen 
industrial hydrogen today is made as a byproduct of oil and gas. It's called steam reformation. Basically, you you blast superheated steam at oil and the byproduct is hydrogen. So hydrogen at the moment for industrial processes is dirty. So the other way of making hydrogen is through electrolysis. I'm sure we've all done it at, at school, pass a current through uh, water and you get hydrogen, right? So that's fine. Hydrogen will be important for helping balance the grid when you have lots of renewables. You know, that coming back to what happens when there's too much wind or too much sun, mm. don't stop it, divert it into making hydrogen. But one of the things that people need to realise is if you do one mile in a battery electric vehicle, you would need four times the amount of electricity to go the same mile if it were hydrogen. You'd need 10 times the amount of power to do it a same mile in synthetic fuel. If we think about my earlier comment, twice the consumption, four times the amount of clean generation, twice the grid. That's based on us doing and making economic and efficient rational decisions. If we suddenly decide that actually we're not going to have battery electric vehicles, we're only going to go hydrogen, we need to find an awful lot more power. <laughs> and in that lies a cost. So green and clean hydrogen is best use for industrial processes, you know, making steel, glass, concrete, you know, where, where electrification doesn't work very well. Specialist vehicles like diggers and on-site stuff, but you're fairly unlikely to see it in cars. I mean, the, you know, the sales of hydrogen vehicles are collapsing for cars, um, very few. But you might see some specialist stuff be a mixture of hydrogen and electric. Because don't forget, a hydrogen vehicle is an electric vehicle. It's an electric drivetrain. It's just got a smaller battery, but a fuel cell in it. These things are evolving. I'm never saying never, but you're more likely to see hydrogen used in industrial processes than in cars and vans. Well, there you have it. <laughs> the conversation goes on. So next week, we have part two of the conversation, and it gets really interesting. We talk about who's paying for all this, and we talk about China. So what someone said to me, what is the point in us making all this effort when you've got you know, Eastern Asian countries that are just making a mess? That's true, isn't it? <coughs> Pub myth. <laughs> so next week, we'll hear from Graham on all of that. And I ask him very specifically about what a motorhomer should do right now. And the interesting thing about all this is uh, once this all sediments out over the next few years, it looks like we're, that we're heading for some sort of hybrid, which includes, as you've mentioned before, synthetic fuels, hydrogen that you were just hearing about uh, there, and electricity. And of course, Graham knows that they have to generate the electricity for you to use. I mean, we're just used to plugging in, aren't we? And off we go. But these things don't just appear, do they? No, and it's been interesting how the grid has changed and evolved and how we haven't noticed over the last 10, 20 years. It's been incredible. So yeah, this is a journey that I find very exciting. It's great to have Graham's view of it. I think what we can then do is 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 translate that into our own little worlds of our, you know of our own, as it were, um, and how we use our own car, motorhome, campervan, so. Uh, the one thing about the electric revolution or whatever fuels that, that we migrate towards, it's going to be a lot more local, isn't it? We are, we're going to have to take our own responsibility much more rather than, as we're saying, plugging into the national grid. It's going to be a bit of grid. It's going to be a, a bit of stuff that you uh, generate yourself off solar panels. Yeah. It's going to be maybe something a little bit more regional. And those are the big changes that are coming, aren't they? There, there are, and there are choices, though. We don't have to engage with it. You know, our diesel motorhomes aren't going to disappear. Uh, in the future, it would just be more expensive to run them and there'll be fewer places we can take them. And as we speak uh, this week, talking of diesel, for the first time in many years, I've seen that diesel and petrol prices have equalised uh, on a lot of forecourts. Yeah, diesel's come down, hasn't it? Or, or, or has unleaded gone up? 
They're the same price. <laughs> Depends where you are, I suppose, doesn't it? Somebody's yeah. making money. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, stay tuned for next week, and you can hear the other half of my conversation with Graham, which is really interesting. It's the Motorhome Matt podcast with me, Keith Gooden. And me, Motorhome Matt. He's the expert. I ask the stupid questions. Uh, no questions and answers in this week's podcast, but fear not. It's back again next week, and we will bring you all your questions and some of Matt's answers to those questions as well. And he never gets it wrong. <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> OK, then, Matt, if people do want to contribute and ask a question, how do they do it? It's very easy, by the way. Easy to go to motorhomemat.co.uk forward slash ask Matt. Hit the orange button and record your question. We love getting them. Tell us where you are in the country as well. Uh, or you can fill in the form and submit that if you'd rather not hear your own voice. You can also find us on YouTube. So a lot of our content is extended version on YouTube. Make sure you hit the bell and subscribe while you're there. And you'll find us all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, and even TikTok as Motorhome Matt. Yeah, we do like to know where you're uh, uh, living or where you're motorhoming. So uh, put in a bit of geographical reference as well. It helps us to... And by the way, when it comes to recording, Matt, if I can do it, you can do it. It's dead easy. It's dead easy. So press that button and ask that question. We'd love to hear your voice. Uh, what else should people do oh, with Apple and Spotify? If you are listening on Apple and Spotify, we would be really grateful if you do one of two things. Firstly, leave us a five-star review. It really helps with the algorithm. We've no idea what that is. Albert Gorythm. <laughs> Albert's Gorythm. Uh, and share it with someone. If there's someone you think would love to hear the podcast, will you please share it with them? Help us grow the audience and become ever more effective and make more of an input on someone else's life. Thanks for listening to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Remember to check back here for more episodes full of hints and tips and helpful advice. We'll see you soon for another Motorhome Matt podcast brought to you with thatleisureshop.com.